turn in the Pew Bibles, page 840, Joel 2, the bulletin says 28 to 30. I've elected not to read 30, so I'm going to read 28 and 29. And I'm reading from the message, so it won't be exactly the words that you have on page 840, but close. And that's just the beginning. After that, I will pour out my spirit on every kind of people. Your sons will prophesy, also your daughters. Your old men will dream, your young men will see visions. I'll even pour out my spirit on the servants, men and women both. I'll set wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below. Good morning, church family. Today I'll be reading Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 39. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of the sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and your children, and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Thank you. It's good to be with you this morning. Oh boy, that's amazing, instant sound. Very good, thank you sound people. At the churches that I serve in often, I go testing one, two, three, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. <laughs> this is really great. It's wonderful to be with you this Sabbath, it really is. It's kind of like being back home again. Got a wonderful welcome this morning. A terrific Sabbath school class, I really enjoyed that. A great um, children's story. I really enjoyed that a whole lot. And um, it's been all good music and it's just wonderful all the way through. I noticed also that there was a time to welcome each other uh, this morning, but I'd like to say that uh, for those of you that I've met before and been a part of in your lives, it's great to be back with you. And for those that I haven't had an opportunity to get to know you yet, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to getting to know you. My main job is that I'm director of plan giving for the Southern California Conference here. And uh, people often ask us what we do in that particular office and basically I tell them that we make people's dreams come true. Because uh, we work with individuals, uh, church members, who have a dream uh, to use their estate plan to create some kind of gift, a legacy that uh, will benefit either school or church in the conference purview or, or some other uh, specific thing they'd like to do. So we help out on that. If you haven't done that yet, I'd like to let you know that you can call me anytime and we'd be very happy to assist you in achieving that. Um, I just wanted to uh, share with you also this morning that I found some exciting things in our scripture today, and I'm really excited to be able to share them with you. But I feel inadequate without your prayers, and so I'd like to encourage you to bow your heads and join me together. Join me this morning as we ask for your, the Holy Spirit's presence. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for loving us, caring for us, and sending your Holy Spirit to, to teach us and to guide us. I would pray today that the message that is heard be your message 
and the Holy Spirit would guide in every aspect, not only in the tongue as it speaks, but also in the ear as it hears. And may we be able to take something home to be able to live this week as well as to uh, share with others. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you, if you would, to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 1. I love going through a book with a church family. And so when I speak in my home church, I often start with a book and we get through it quite uh, well. It takes a long time to get through a book the size of Acts. And so I've spent several weeks looking at the first part of Acts. And I'm going to give you a very shortened view of the first three chapters in Acts. It's one of the most exciting chapters, I think, in the Bible because it creates right before your eyes the history of the birthing of the Christian church. Um, not only do we find that birth in Jesus Christ, but this is the actual time the church started formulating. If you look at back in our history as Seventh-day Adventists, we trace our history back to the 1800s of, uh, from the 40s through 1860 when we actually formalized as, as a church. And this is the history of the beginning of the creation of Christianity. And it's really exciting. As I look at the first chapter, and I'm not going to read all three chapters to you. You can breathe a little easier. I'm going to try to do it in story form, and you can watch along and see how it's created. You can remember that before the book of Acts, um, the history that's recording before it, immediately before it, is the death of Jesus Christ. You remember that happened during the Passover time. And, um, and you see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John different stories uh, about how they viewed uh, what brought them to that point. Let me just share with you that during this time before Christ's death, when he got his disciples together, we always think of them as disciples, but in reality, he was a teacher. And in, Jewish, uh, in the Jewish community, a teacher was called a rabbi. And um, some of you might remember me sharing with you uh, a sermon where it talked about the reality that we need to view Christianity from its Jewish roots. And Jesus was a rabbi. And the disciples were all um, individuals who had been uh, educated to a point to be a rabbi but had been disappointed because they weren't chosen as good enough. And they didn't become rabbis. They went back and they were fishermen and they were um, different, different uh, things that they had an aptitude for, but they weren't rabbis. But along comes Jesus and he says, if, I, if you follow me and give up fishing, I'll make you a fisherman. And he gathered with him all these young adults at that time who had wanted to be a rabbi but didn't get chosen and now they got the chance to do it. And all his relationship up to the book of Acts is a relationship between these people of teacher to student. That's why you see Peter can be quite, quite of impetuous at times 
and, and he acts like a child sometimes in his responses and things like that. And so it's because it was a teacher-student relationship. But Acts changes the whole picture. It's totally different here. When you look at the first chapter, you find out that it, it is written in the first thing that, that Luke, uh, who wrote it, um, begins to talk about is the fact that after Jesus' uh, after Jesus' death, there was a resurrection, and Jesus spent approximately 40 days reappearing to them in different venues and teaching them and encouraging them. And in Acts chapter 1, there's a theme that begins that's quite interesting. He begins talking to them about the Holy Spirit. He, says, he said clear back in the book of John that he was going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. But in this chapter, he really gets specific about this. He says, I don't want you to leave Jerusalem. Don't leave this for a while because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. I don't want you to be scattered all over the place or some other country. He actually had an event in mind, a time in mind. Approximately 40 days he spent with them and not long after that, there was a feast day. You remember he passed, he was, he was killed, he was sacrificed at Passover. You know, it's interesting, Passover is really significance when it comes to death. Because Passover was a time that if you hadn't believed in, uh, in God, you had not marked your door with blood signifying the coming death of the Messiah. If you hadn't done that, you would lose the firstborn male in your family. And who was to die on that Passover day? God's only begotten son. Isn't it amazing that it happened right then? God planned it that way. And so we find that on the 50th day after Passover, there was a feast of unleavened breads, a feast called first fruits or the feast of weeks. And everyone got together at that particular time. And so Jesus in chapter one is saying, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. And then you see amazing thing happen when he gets done talking to them about their responsibilities and he spent this time with them and he outlines that the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on you. It, it's, gonna, it, it's gonna make you my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and way beyond the confines of Judaism at that time. Then, then an amazing start, thing starts to happen. He starts lifting off. People just don't do that. <laughs> he wasn't walking. He was probably still instructing to some degree. He was saying his goodbyes. And then he just began to lift off and be taken to be with the Father. 
Now, if I was there, I wouldn't have been any different than those who were watching at that time. I, I would have been fixed on him. I would have been amazed. I would have been watching this liftoff. I'd never seen it before. No one ever has before. No one had ever seen it. And, and I'd be stuck on that. And that's exactly what happened. The disciples are looking at this and two individuals that they didn't recognize are standing there with them and they say to them, you people of Galilee, you Galileans, why are you standing here looking into the sky? Um, he who is departing, you're looking at, and he will return again in the same way that he's leaving you. Now Luke is a guy about details, so he even describes these people as two men in white clothing. I kind of think they were angels, don't you? Probably angels. And they were telling him, you know, it's time to get busy. It's kind of time to get going. And the disciples had no idea probably of the magnitude of the change that was going to happen in their life and the changes that going to happen to each one of them. Now it's interesting when we look in chapter 2 that it begins talking about the Holy Spirit again. It, it describes them as the time of Pentecost. Pentecost was that feast of, an, of unleavened bread or first fruits. Now the interesting thing about Pentecost as a feast is that it was, it was at a time of year that the weather much, was much better than Pente Passover. So Passover has it's a significant feast, but no one comes home for it. The people are scattered all over the place, and only few people come back for that. And that's why I think um, Satan was able to accomplish what he did uh, with the people that were there, because he had a smaller group of people and less, less that would have been supportive of Jesus, and he could gather the fervor of the, the local people and make it happen. But this is later in the year, and it's considered the time of the first harvest. It's when there's lots of sunshine, there's not a lot of wind, there's not a lot of storms, and this is the most visited feast of the whole year because this is when people can sail back without fear of getting lost at sea. This is the time they can travel without bad uh, weather and implement uh, difficult uh, times. And so this time of year, Jerusalem was flooded with people. It was really full. And um, we're told that disciples were all together. They were in a place where everybody could get together. Some of the descriptions I've had is there was about 120 people starting out there. Um, they had gathered all the believers in one spot. And we're told in verse 2, suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind that filled the whole house where we were sitting and there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them describing the disciples and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit I would have loved to have been there I would have loved to have been there 
I'd like to have seen that happen, heard it happen, and seen the aftermath. Because when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in other tongues, we're told. Now, the interesting thing is that because so many people came from different places, there were people of all sorts of different languages. And so there was a purpose to the Holy Spirit here. They started spreading the good news of the gospel in the languages of the people who had come from all over the place. And of course, that created quite a stir in Jerusalem. It would. And so people started listening, and they were amazed, and they couldn't believe it. And other people were going, oh, come on now. They, they drink too much wine, you know. <laughs> they're, they're just out of it, you know. This is not some demonstration of some other power. This, this is alcohol. And then an interesting thing happened. Peter, impetuous Peter, a changed man, filled with the Holy Spirit, stepped forward and gives his first sermon. It's an amazing sermon. The maturity of what, the way he spoke, the maturity and the, the depth and the heart that came through with Peter at that time just, just amazes me. The Holy Spirit had fallen upon Peter too. He said, hey guys, look, this is real. This is, this is a demonstration from God. Jesus said that this is going to happen. And besides, it's too early in the morning. Nobody drinks this early. <laughs> it's not alcohol. This is the Holy Spirit. And people started hearing. And people started calling other people. And the crowd grew from 120 people to a multitude. It, everybody came from all sorts of di different directions. And here's what Peter began to say. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you, self, you yourselves know, this man who was delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and you put him to death. But God raised him up again, put an end to the agony of death since it's impossible for him to be held in its power. And then he goes on to quote David. And then after that he says, this same God raised up again to which we are all witnesses, therefore having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. And then he quotes David again. And then he comes to the conclusion and he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And then it says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. <laughs> they got it. <laughs> they heard it. That big multitude began to respond. 
They were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what should we do? What should we do? I hope each one of you had that experience. When you finally see it, you finally get it, finally comes into your life, and you finally realize that you need Jesus' help. And you say, what do I do, God? What do I do? The answer for them at that particular time is the same for us. If you've been studying and you've been on the point where you're just teetering back and forth, do I follow what God has said to me in Scripture? Do I follow His calling, or do, do I turn away from it and go some other way. What do I do, God? He said to them, and Peter said, repent, <laughs> repent. I have trouble with the word repent. It's a term I have difficulty in, in applying because I've never been in a situation where dad said to me and used the word repent. <laughs> Mom never said, repent. They said a lot of other things, <laughs> but they didn't use that word. What I've come to the conclusion, though, is what Peter was trying to say with the word repent is recognize that you need me. Recognize that you need me. Recognize that the old way of doing it isn't working and it never will and give yourself into my control. If that's what repent is about, let me tell you, we all need that, don't we? We need to understand our relationship with God. He's our loving savior. He sacrificed his son for us. He stands there saying, if you just understand that you need it, I've got it to give to you. And Peter was telling them, even since, even, even though you killed him, <laughs> he still wants to save you. All you have to do is recognize that that death was a mistake on your part and accept his guidance in your life. Let him come in. And so I can't imagine what it would have been like in that crowd. The Holy Spirit was working it from person to person. Can you imagine how exciting that was to see? From one person to another, you can see the Holy Spirit touching that heart, changing that person's life. People were probably saying, God, I'm yours. Take me. The amazing things began to happen. Peter said, repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I imagine there was a baptism like you can't imagine. People wanting to be baptized, lining up, excited about it, filled with the Holy Spirit. They too were receiving the Holy Spirit. Lives were being changed. And then... Peter says, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off and as many as the Lord God shall call to himself. And then he said, and then 40 is interesting. Luke got so caught up in the situation 
he couldn't write it down anymore. And he says, and with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved, be saved, this perverse generation. He couldn't, he couldn't keep writing. Amazing, amazing thing. And then when you look down a little further, it says, so then those who had received the word were baptized. And there was added that day 3,000 individuals, 3,000 souls. 120? 120 come to a meeting? Three times? 3,000 are baptized? That's the Holy Spirit, isn't it? That's the Holy Spirit. I long for that Holy Spirit. He's here. And he's working with your lives. Things are going to happen. You know, as I look down a little further in that chapter, I see how that Holy Spirit, when it poured out, really changed things. He describes an experience among those people that is vastly different than the daily life that I experience today. Even though I love my church family, we haven't come to this place yet. He says, and they were continually devoting themselves to, uh, to the apostles, teachings, and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. They were together all the time, praying and eating and being together, and everyone kept on feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Things were, people were being healed. Lives were being changed. Things were happening. And all those who had believed were together and all things they shared in common. I would like to share some of my monthly bills. <laughs> I don't think that was what was going on there. They're throwing it all in a pot and they're working together to keep it going. It was a wonderful experience. And they began selling their property and possessions and sharing them with all anyone who might have need and day by day continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. And as they were um, uh, taking their meals together with gladness, and security of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord. And then we're told, and the Lord were adding to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. That's above the 3,000. Now I'm beginning to understand how the church grows so rapidly. Word of mouth and the Holy Spirit. It was their personal witness. People saw what was going on and they were drawn to it. I think we have that same potential today, don't we? We have the same potential within our church family to create that same kind of experience again. I pray for that. I pray for that. The thing that is interesting to me is it all converges into the life and the experience and the love and sacrifice that one individual gave. 
none of this would have happened, the Christian church would have never begun if God hadn't sent his beloved son to come and live among the people that he created so that they might be able to get a glimpse of the potential and possibility that lies in his salvation. And then he made the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. He gave his life to pay the penalty so that we too might have life, be a part of that great Christian family and experience the togetherness until the time he could come again and receive us to himself. We could expend, experience eternal life. It's all because of the wonderful Lamb of God. I'd like to share with you a song that hopefully we'll share with, we'll be able to share the wonderful Redeemer that we have, our Lamb of God. Track number three. Oh 
describe how awesome a God you are and how thankful that we are that you would send your son Jesus Christ to live and die for just me and each one here that personally you cared so much for each of us that you would have died just for us We find ourselves today realizing that we've got a great and wonderful, the most powerful story that was ever told to be able to share with this world and we don't have much more time. I would pray today for your Holy Spirit again that that same Spirit fall on each individual that is here today and that people might see and hear from us in our lives the way we live and how we demonstrate it and how much joy we have and how much love and compassion we have that they might see this and respond to you, Jesus. That we might be able to see the changes of individuals added to this congregation daily because of the work of your Holy Spirit and your presence in our lives. We thank you for this because we realize that you promised it You've already showed it. You've already made it happen. And we know you can make it happen again. So we have confidence and we pray in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.